All right, good morning, church. Let's all stand and raise our hands and sing about the freedom that we have only through Jesus. Here we go. There's a promised land waiting for me. Sometimes there's an ocean that lies in between. And I'll keep on traveling the path where you've been. Till I'm right where you want me. That's where I will be. Let's go.
until I lay my head. Oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been
just come into your presence here. We want to be still, God. We want to kneel before you, Lord. Just me. 
Jesus, we release all of our anxieties and our fear this morning. We receive from you your freedom, your grace, and your love. When darkness tries to roll over my bones, sorrow comes to steal the joy I own. When brokenness and pain is all I know, I won't be shaken. No, I won't be shaken. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Shame can't hide. Shame no longer has a place to
Welcome to Camrio Community Church. Uh, we're so glad you're with us, whether you're in the building, on the patio, online. Welcome to everybody. Uh, maybe you're checking us out online for the first time. Welcome. Maybe you're in the room because you checked us out last week and you thought, I got to check this place out live. All those things. We just say welcome. My name is David Hurtado. I'm the lead pastor here. Introduce myself every week just in case you're new. Uh, you are uh, thought about, prayed for, and we are thankful that you are with us. And so, Welcome, welcome, welcome. I wanted to give you kind of a little blurb about my excitement for this up and coming concert that we have coming up. Uh, we have Travis Green and Israel Houghton. Uh, I've been listening to them for years. They're nationally acclaimed and, and award winning. And I realized that while that's true, if you're not used to their music or you're not used to who they are, you don't know who they are, that may mean nothing to you. And so what we wanted to do is throw up a little bit of a compilation video so you can see some of the songs that they have written. You probably sing, have sung before the songs that they have written. And uh, just to let you know the caliber of folks that we're going to have here. So why don't you take a look at the screens and check this out real quick. Intentional, never failing. Yeah, so you see, it's going to be an awesome uh, concert, and I'm really up here because I'm going to ask for your support in this realm. We uh, have been kind of difficultly navigating the concert ministry after COVID, and COVID seems to have thrown a wrench in how people feel comfortable about coming to events like this. I'm not sure, but we've done our regular promotions on socials and radio and all that kind of stuff, and we're just not seeing uh, the amount of tickets that we usually sell for this type of event. Uh, for this one. So I'm hoping that maybe you will take it upon yourself. So you know what? I'm going to be here. I'm going to stretch myself a little bit. Maybe it's not the type of music I listen to, but I'm going to be blessed if I come. Uh, we're asking that maybe you would buy not only tickets for yourself, but maybe for a friend, somebody that you've been praying for to come to church. This might be their first involvement in a church setting, which would be a very exciting and fun setting, certainly to be a part of. And uh, we're asking for your help in this. Um, I want to say that we're going to take the prices of the tickets and we're going to slash them all in half and it's going to be $25 for every seat. Now, if you already have tickets, we're going to make sure you have perks along the way because you guys paid more and all that kind of stuff. You can certainly check with uh, Kelly on that kind of thing. But $25 for all the seats uh, for you to come to invite a friend. And we want to say a special thank you to Travis Green, who you just saw on the screen, for making that possible for us to be able to do that. And so please, April 7th, mark your calendar, 8 p.m. It's going to be an amazing night. You're not going to want to miss it. I promise if you come. You will be blessed, and we would love to see you here. We just need to pick up the amount of people who are going to be here to enjoy this event with us. So I hope that you will consider that uh, as you uh, make your plans. All right. With that, let's start our message today. And I will just say this. Um, when I was a kid, you used to go outside when you were bored. I'm not sure that that's the case anymore. Now when you're bored, you stay inside and you play video games against some kid in Thailand or Switzerland or, you know, I don't know how that works. Or we hope there are kids on the other side of that. Anyway. 
So, so you know, when I was a kid, you go outside, and, and whatever the sport was of the year, that's what you, or the season, that's what you do play. So if it's basketball season, we play basketball. If it's baseball season, we play baseball or pickle. If, it, if it's football season, we play football. Well, what would happen is all the kids would kind of gather together, and they would, uh, you know, whether it's in the park or the local middle school, the basketball court, whatever, we'd all, all of a sudden you see this congregation of kids, and everybody would like, it's time to pick teams. And there was like one methodology that was like universal around the world on how you pick teams. And if, if you're playing basketball, you would shoot hoops for, for uh, you know, whoever got to be captain number one and captain number two. You'd be at the free throw line, you'd shoot, and whoever made the first shot was captain number one, who made the second one was captain number two. The rest of the kids had to be picked onto a team. I would practice my free throw shots just so I could be captain number one or captain number two, because I wanted to be the mastermind of building my team that was gonna eventually win the game. And I, I was pretty good at basketball. I mean, I was big boned, I still am. You know, I was kind of, you know, uh, the big kid. You couldn't, you know, underneath the key, like who's gonna stop you? I'm taller than everybody else. I can shoot her in the hoop. I mean, I, I was, even if I didn't become captain number one or captain number two, I was generally picked one, two, or three whenever we were playing basketball. Taller, bigger, who can stop them? You want a guy to get rebounds. And so I would get picked all the time. I was obviously very, very confident when recess came along in the fifth grade because I was going to get picked on a team. I wasn't going to be one of the kids on the sidelines who didn't get to play. Now, God forbid that we ever played baseball because I could never hit a curveball to save my life. I just couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to catch a fly ball. I couldn't figure out why. Does it look like it's there and then it goes over my head or goes before? I could never figure that out. I, and I'm slow. So there's literally no reason for me ever be on a baseball field. And uh, oftentimes I would get chosen last. This is where you feel sorry for me. I'd get chosen last, yes, thank you, last. Can you believe that? Little Big Dave getting chosen last in baseball. If I got chosen at all, they'd be like, no, you're not playing today, dude. There's an, you're not gonna help us at all, so you can't play at all. And I, I don't know if you remember these type of things when you were a kid, when we used to go outside and play things, uh, but we would rank each other, right? Uh, we would rank based on height, based on athletic skill and ability, fastness, quickness, the ability to throw a ball, the, the ability to shoot a ball, the ability to hit a ball, we would all rank each other and then we would decide, you know, who gets to go first based on that ranking. You know, it's interesting. God seems to value things a little differently than us. And he seems to rank things a little differently than us too. A little differently when we go, than, than when we go to the park and start playing basketball together, or baseball together, or football together. Sometimes God doesn't rank based on the externals. I remember a story uh, coming out of 1 Samuel chapter 16, where God was kind of fed up with his old king, Saul, and he was going to anoint a new king, and he sent his prophet Samuel to the house of Jesse to anoint the new king. And so Samuel goes on in, he goes, all right, I need to find the new king because God's done with Saul, and so now we're going to go to you know, this new king, God anoint him. And, and, and he goes to Jesse, he goes, show me your sons, one of your sons is the king. The first guy comes out, he's strapping, he's tall, broad shoulders, big, huge human being. He goes, that's him. That must be him. I mean, just the stature of a king. And God said, no, that's not him. Not only would God reject him, but he would reject six other brothers. Seven brothers in total were rejected right before Samuel. So much so that Samuel goes, so Jesse, do you have any other sons? And Jesse's like, well, there's this one, my youngest, but he's out in like, you know, he's in the pasture like rearing the animals. Like nobody really wants him, do you? 
bring him in. He brings him in and God says, that's my man. You see, sometimes God ranks us in terms that we wouldn't rank ourselves. Sometimes we rank based on superficial things that we see. Height, strength, speed, those type of things. And God says, no, I, I look at the heart. In fact, it says in that 1 Samuel chapter 16 passage, the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Sometimes we value in terms of rank, or our value in terms of rank does not coincide with God's values. And we're going to kind of see a little bit of that in our passage today. How is our ranking system or our ranking tendencies different than God's? And why is there such disparity sometimes between the two? What ways do we rank our lives as if we know best? And how does God respond to this? How is our evaluation different from God's? And what is the solution to this problem? For that, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I challenge you to open up your Bible. If you have a bound Bible, open it up right now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Hopefully your little mark is right on the page where we're at in our uh, letter to 1 Corinthians. If you have a tablet or a computer or a device, open it up right now. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 27 through 31 today. Short passage, but it comes jam-packed with a lot of information. So as you get there, the overarching question today is what... What is the problem with ranking gifts in the church? Now, we've been talking about gifts in all of chapter 12, uh, that when you become a believer in Christ, the first gift is salvation. God gives you salvation. The Spirit of God indwells you as a part of that salvation. Your soul is regenerated. You come to light. You were in death. You come to life. And then as a part of that with the Spirit living inside of you, there also comes a gift from God. Now, a gift sounds like it's for me, but it's not really for me. It's for him. And so there's this gift that he gives, this ability, this propensity, this uh, supernatural even ability to do something for the kingdom of God, to do something for the family of God. He needs you to do these things so he can get glory. And so we've been talking about those things, and now we're talking about why is it a problem to rank these gifts of the church? You see, what was happening in Corinth is like, well, okay, that's a middle-level gift, that's a high gift, that's a low gift. And they were doing all these things in their mind, and, and Paul's now challenging that idea. What is the problem with ranking gifts in the church? And the first thing we're going to see is that problem number one is we often miss God's priority. You see, we prioritize the strongest one. We prioritize the fastest one. We prioritize the one who can shoot, more, shoot and make more threes than everybody else. And that sometimes misses the marks on what God prioritizes. Let's look at the Bible together. First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, we'll look at verses 27 and 28 together. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen. It says this, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, and then uh, gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. We'll start right there. What is the problem with ranking gifts in the church? Well, first, first of all, we often miss God's priority in the midst of that. And he's going to give us his priority in this list. He's going to say first, second, third. And then the rest. But first he says, this line that's kind of consistent with the rest of the chapter, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You collectively are the body of Christ and yet individually you are members of it. This falls right in line with everything else we've been seeing in chapter 12. 
Uh, the idea that the body is made up of many members and every member is as important as the other one even though they have different responsibilities, different, different ministries, different, a variety of things that you do. The foot does something different than the hand does. The eye does something different than the mouth does. All of them are equal though in the fact that they make part of one body. And we talked about this before, right? I may not know where my kidney is. I may not know what it looks like. I may not know how to find it. I've never seen it before, but the day that I need it, I will know how important it is to my body. In fact, you can't live without, well, you can live without one, but you can't live without two. And so here he's saying every piece of the body, every you are collectively together one body, and yet individually you're all members of it. Now this is really, really important when you think about what's going on in the first century. What he's saying is everybody gets to play. Everybody in the room gets to play. You are a part of the body of Christ if you're a Christ follower, and you all get to play in the body of Christ as a true member of it. Now, you may look at that and go, oh, that just makes common sense. But think of it. Women, you are able to play. Now, put yourself in a first century setting. How many things were women able to play in? How many places were women legitimized in the first century? You as a woman, I'm making no differentiation between man or woman. You are made in the image of God and you, you get to play in the kingdom of God. Slaves get to play. Doesn't matter if you are high on the social strata or low on the social strata. We know that elitism was a very big deal in Corinth. It doesn't matter when you come into this room, we're all equals. And in fact, you don't even get to pick your gift. And so God is the one who gives you the gift. And so it could be that you're a low strata in the, in the world's eyes, and yet you're at a visible gift in the church. Think of that for a second. So those you elites who walk in the room, you sit down and participate on a general level behind the scenes. And those who are on the low strata may have a gift that actually is more prominent in the church. Wow. Slaves can play, women can play, the elites can play. A Roman citizen has the same, uh, got, he's got a gift just like the person at the bottom of the totem pole has a gift. And you don't get to pick your gift. You don't get to decide which one's yours. You don't get to go, those are the big ones, the nice ones, the, the shiny ones, I want that one. You don't get to do that. God delivers the gifts as he wants to. He apportions them is the word. He appoints them. In fact, it's written in the middle voice. He appoints the gifts for himself in the church. So if you have a problem with yourself and the gift that God's given you, you have a problem with God. And if you have a problem with the way he's ordered the gifts in the church, which ones are on stage, which ones are behind the scenes, then you have a problem with God. The, the lower person can be at a higher gifting in the church in the sense of display in front of everybody. Now, you guys, I gotta tell you, this is so real to me because you're looking at the guy who didn't know he could read until he's in 10th grade, had never read a book cover to cover until I was in college, has extreme forms of dyslexia to where I put my finger on the page as I read, if you've ever noticed, in front of everybody. So the words don't move. And people on the lower strata, world's perspective, can be used in a level in the church that they never thought would be there. To where if you're an elite, sit down. God's the one who delivers the gifts, he gives them out, and he uses people accordingly for his glory, for his glory. You are collectively a part of the body of Christ and individually you are a member of it. And it's not lost on the liberating nature of that 
to a slave or to a woman in the first century. Now, you, you may have heard the Bible is really, really, uh, uh, d- uh, you know, pushes people down. Quite the opposite. It's actually elevating people along the way. Now, he goes into the prioritization of the gifts in the body. And God is appointed in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. So what he's saying here is, I'm gonna give you the prioritization. I'll let you know which ones are of the highest priority, which ones are to be more prominent, which ones I would recommend should be more prominent, which ones God views as more prominent in the setting of the church, the local church setting. I'll tell you what they are. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. The same order that we see in Ephesians chapter four, by the way. If you wanna write that down, check that out a little later. Same order. It says, first, apostles. What's an apostle? An apostle was uh, uh, the primary gift used in the first century to both validate the cause of Christ and authenticate the written word of God. If you're taking notes and you're in a growth group, that's probably a good one to write down. The apostleship gift was the primary gift in the first century that validated the cause of Christ and authenticated the written word of God. It was the gift given to inscripturate. Right? Now, if you've been with us in this series, you know that one of the earliest books in the New Testament that was written is 1 Corinthians. I want to say like 55 AD, if I, if I remember correctly. Uh, uh, and so the Gospels are not even written yet. Okay? We don't have New Testament literature yet. And yet, here he's saying the apostolic gift is primary. Primary because it authenticates the cause of the gospel, the cause of Christ, the the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it authenticates the word, the written word of God. They would come around doing the miraculous. This is God's methodology, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, Whenever you wanted to validate your spokesman, you always came with miracles. It happens in the Old Testament, it happens in the New Testament. Here, it happened to Jesus. In fact, they would ask him, what signs do you do to legitimize the things that you're saying? If you're going to say these things and speak for God, then we expect to see signs. That's the whole methodology. From the Old Testament, Jesus times, New Testament, always. And so he's saying, here is the primary gift of the New Testament, the, uh, the uh, gift of apostleship, and it is used to validate the gospel, authenticate the written word of God in scripturation. Kind of like a catch-all gift. Uh, they could do miracles, they could do healings, they could do prophecy, they would, re, they would receive direct revelation uh, for the moment, they would see, receive direct revelation for the purpose of being written down. Certainly the, uh, uh, the apostles would use the uh, prophetic gift to, as a part of inscripturation, certainly all, all, all that was in play. So that it would be said of them that they would be uh, uh, doing signs that are appropriate for an apostle. Or they would do signs and wonders, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, Acts 2 and 42, or Acts 5, 12. There's these guys, when you said apostle, yep, that's them, because they're doing the miraculous activities. And that's how we know to trust what they're saying. Saying number one, and priority in the gifts of the church would be apostles. Second one would be prophets. This is a gift that had significant Old Testament precedence. Uh, they would speak forth truth from God to his people, oftentimes even having a predictive element. This is going to happen. In fact, this is going to happen if you don't do this. Judgment is coming upon you. Or they would just, this is what's going to happen, and it would happen. There was a miraculous ability to both speak for God for a present moment or to predictively tell you what's going to happen in the future. Both happen in the Old Testament. Both happen in the New Testament. 
under the title prophet. They spoke revelation from God uh, to speak present day revelation. Do we turn right or do we turn left? We're not sure what we should do before God. Well, this gift would be very, very helpful in that setting. They expounded on the revelation they already had from God. Uh, That's what a prophet did. Third was teacher. A teacher is someone who speaks with great wisdom, uh, takes the word of God, and through spoken acts or speech acts, they transmit it, they explain it, they communicate it, they exposit it, they apply it. This is a person who takes what is there and has the ability to make it come to life for people and show them how it's relevant in their lives. You could say, if you feel this way, if you're kind, that David Hurtado has the gift of, of a teacher. Okay, but that, that would be the, the, the gift that I function in the best. Of these three gifts, the important thing to remember is this. You might want to write this down because it's going to come back to us a little later. They were all gifts that provided guidance. Whether it was the gift of apostleship, uh, the prophets or prophecy, or the gift of teaching, they were all gifts that provided guidance. Two of them were revelatory, one of them is not, but they all provided guidance. Which way do you go, this way or that way? And that's going to be a little important a little bit later, so just uh, put that in the back of your mind. Then he goes, okay, those are the, those are the top three. Then he says, and then there's miracles, and then there's gifts of healing, and then there's helping, and then there's administration, and various kinds of tongues. So what are these? Uh, miracles, we've talked about last week, gifts of healings, these are, these are miraculous, but he puts them on the second tier as far as importance. Helps, uh, helpful deeds of assistance. Uh, this is a person who is just gifted in helping others. Um, amazing people who have this gift as well on the second tier. Administrations, this is probably not the best way for us to translate it because when we think administration, we think clerical activities. Uh, more so, it's the idea of the gift of leadership or governance. The, uh, the literal idea behind this word is to steer the ship. It's the captain of the ship. All right? A lot of pastors have a gift of governance or leadership or things of that nature, but still second tier compared to the first three. Then the last one is tongues. Now we talked about this a little bit before, and we're going to dive in a lot more into tongues when we get into chapter 14. So I'm not going to say a lot about it today, but I will say this. Tongues is either, depending on your bent, uh, uh, the ability to speak in another language even though you never learned it. It's a miraculous ability to speak in a different language that you have never learned. Great tool to be sharing the gospel if, you know, if, you, if there's a language barrier, right? Or it's the ability to speak in a heavenly language that would come to, cross like, to us like gibberish because we don't know how angels speak. Either or, uh, uh, that's the gift that's listed there. Now, it is not lost on most commentators that tongues, again, if you go back and read the first cha- or the, uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, tongues is always listed last in these lists. This ability, whatever this ability of tongues is, we'll get to that in chapter 14. Um, whatever that is, it's always listed last. And it's not lost on most commentators that it's listed last. There seems to be a consensus on most biblical commentators that what's going on here is that they've had an inordinate amount of emphasis on that gift. That's the one they liked. And that's why he keeps on listing it last. You guys are enthralled with this one. Like, you think this is the big one. But what did he just do? He said, there's one, two, three, way up here, and this one's at the bottom. You you guys are, like, really into this one. But really, there's other ones that matter more. He's almost correcting them. Now, 
It may be that they're gravitating towards this gift because of this euphoric feeling they get when they participate in the gift. It may be that those feelings of ecstasy that they remember from their pagan worship in the past mimic this and they, 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 they feel that same ecstasy in the midst of doing this gift. Or it may simply be because Paul seems to say in chapter 14, we'll get to that later obviously, but the idea that you are personally edified when you're participating in this gift of tongues. There is a personal edification side to it. Like I'm feeling personally edified. Whatever it is, they were drawn to it. And Paul's trying to say, that is your big one, but I'm putting it at the bottom and I'm telling you these are higher over here. Like you may have missed the priority of God on which one you should be emphasizing or which one should be emphasized in the church. The important thing to see here is that there's a differentiation between the top three and the rest of the gifts he's listing. You guys are all worried about rank and which one's higher and which one's lower and did I get the good one? Oh, I'll tell you the rank. Let me tell you the ones that should be prioritized. And it's not the one that you guys are all emphatically trying to get for yourselves. As if you could will yourself into a gift because God's the one who divvies it up and gives out what he gives. Here's the ones that God highlights. Here's the one that we highlight. And the whole point is you're missing God's priority. What is the problem with ranking gifts in the church? Well, number one, we often miss God's priority. And number two, we often rank things superficially. We want the guy who's taller because he can shoot baskets. We want the guy who can hit a ball farther, who's faster, who can throw a ball into small windows. We often rank things superficially. Now let's look at this in verses 29 through 31. He begins with questions. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do we all speak with tongues, do we all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way, and that more excellent way we're going to see next week in chapter, uh, chapter 13. What is the problem with ranking gifts in the church? We often rank things superficially. He begins with a series of questions. They're like rhetorical questions that have an obvious answer. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues or do all interpret? The answer is obviously no. The answer is obviously no, because we saw in verse 27 that God apportions these gifts. He's the one who gives them out. We saw earlier in chapter 12 that God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, together work together to divide these things up. They're the ones who hand these things out. The eye cannot say to the hand, I wish I was a hand. The hand cannot say to the foot, I wish I was a foot. No, no, no. Uh, you, don't, you don't do that. You just accept the gift that God's giving you. function in it so that the whole body works. If everybody was an eye, then how would we walk? How would we move? That's the whole context of chapter 12. And so... If I cannot sign up for the gift that I want, and God's the only one who hands them out, and not everybody's an I, then no, not everybody is a prophet, not everybody is an apostle, not everybody is a teacher. It's an obvious answer contextually from the text in chapter 12. The answer is no to all these things. So what's his point? Even though not one person has all these gifts, nevertheless, collectively as a community, Eager desire, eagerly desire the higher gifts. That's verse 31. But eagerly desire the higher gifts. Nevertheless, even though you can't will yourself into any of these gifts, you as a collective community, and this is loss on a lot of people as they look at this passage, it is a 
plural, a, a second person plural. You collectively as a whole are together as a church to earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. And by the way, that's an imperative. You are commanded. You should earnestly desire the higher gifts. Collectively as a whole, when we come to the gathering, this is what we collectively desire, the higher gifts. Now, there's a bit of irony and sarcasm going on here. And the reason that there's irony, we call it irony or sarcasm, is because they are desiring the higher gifts. It's just that they took the one that was tongues and they put it up here. <laughs> like, that's what we're doing, Paul. Like, we desire the best gift. That's what we want. It's just that they have the wrong gift as the best one. And so he's almost using a bit of irony and sarcasm because what they're doing, while it is what they're doing, they're not doing it in God's eye. Uh, it's not the greatest gift in God's eye. So it's a little bit of a play on words, sarcasm, ironic statement. Yes, I wish you would desire the greater gifts. It's just if you actually knew which ones were greater. So which gifts is he talking about? Which ones are the greater gifts that, that, that they should be collectively desiring together as they assemble together? Well, they're the top three. Apostleship. Prophets and teachers. That's the point of the section. Earnestly desire those. Now, what is going on here? And this is where I often try to do this. I'm going to try to get you out of your 21st century mind. Because what we do is we take our little lens of our lives and we read them into the scripture. And we're going to try to dive back into first century and what was going on then. And see how this would come across to them. Let me ask you some questions that will help us understand this. Are the Gospels written yet? No. No. So if the Gospels aren't written, and I just said earlier that 1 Corinthians is one of the first letters of the New Testament. It's one of the first writings of the New Testament. We have 1 Corinthians and the Old Testament. That's what we have at this point. All right. Since 1 Corinthians is the first writing, one of the first writings of the New Testament, if you don't have the rest of the New Testament, what guides you? What is there to guide you? Well, we have the Old Testament. Yeah, we have the Old Testament. We have all this new activity, though. There's a, a lot of things that were in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in Christ that we don't yet understand all the way because we don't have the New Testament to explain it to us. See where I'm going with this? And so how are you guided and how do you deal with all the complex problems that they're dealing with in the first century? Let's just go over a few of them that we've seen in 1 Corinthians. Racial reconciliation. How do you deal with that? Like Jews were taught from their childhood never to have a meal with anybody else who's not Jewish. And now they're having communion with God, a religious activity with people who are Greek and Gentile. How, how do you navigate this? Women's rights. Women didn't have rights in that time. And, and here the gospel is value, value, valuing them in a way that they get a gift in the church, they get to participate in the church. How do you navigate that one? Factions and elitism. We saw all the stratus. As we go through this, how do you navigate that one? Of course we would give the elites their spot, wouldn't we, Paul? Paul says no. How do you navigate that one? Uh, what does freedom in Christ mean? Uh, does freedom in Christ mean that we can have free love? They dealt with that in Corinth. How does my freedom in Christ and the fact that I have forgiveness in Christ change my everyday life? Or maybe it means I can do whatever I want. In fact, Romans chapter 6 is written just, just the opposite of that. What, what should we say then, that, that, that Christ died, that we can continue to sin? No way. 
Meaning, like, if God, if God gets glory every time he forgives me, then the more I sin, the more he forgives me, the more I sin, the more glory he gets. And so, therefore, I should keep on sinning. You see how that, you can play that? No, no, no. Until the scriptures are written, the New Testament scriptures are written, we don't have wonderful understanding of these things. We're still navigating, moving forward. And then you have the whole side of uh, combating false teachings and false gospels that are coming up. What he's saying to them is, I want you to emphasize the gift that revealed truth for guidance. What you should be emphasizing as you meet together are the gifts that reveal truth for guidance. Earnestly desire them. They function to strengthen the body the most. Because once these things are written down, then you can navigate, you can know which way to go. Do we go left? Do we go right? What do we do? This is why the, 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 the New Testament talks about how um, the church was built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. They needed direction. They didn't need euphoria. They needed direction on how to move forward. It's like he's saying to them, the gifts that, that, that give you this thing here, the gifts that will end up providing this, elevate them so you can place yourself underneath it. The gifts that will give you the word of God, apostleship, prophet, and, and the teaching thereof, elevate those so you can place yourself underneath them because they will guide you. But they were too busy with their feelings of euphoria. And even what they really needed was biblical guidance. This is why in the first century, according to Acts 2.42, it was said that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You gotta remember, they don't have the whole scripture yet. So where do we go for guidance? We're gonna go to those guys and listen to them because we know they come from God. That's what was going on. Well, that brings me to the big idea, and that is this. Oftentimes, God's knowledge of what we need stands in opposition to what we feel we need. Oftentimes, God's knowledge of what we actually need stands in opposition to what we feel we need or what we think we need. That's definitely what was going on for them. Uh, uh, you know, he's saying, you need the word of God. You need guidance. You need all the revelatory gifts to give you guidance. They're going, no, 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 no. We just like the, the, the ecstasy that we feel when we're participating in this such gift. We like the euphoric feeling of displaying this gift. It's like, well, what you need is, what you need is revelatory gifts that will help you in guiding yourselves forward. Oftentimes, God's knowledge of what we need stands in opposition to what we feel we need. Now, we see this all the time in our lives. There are times where God's knowledge of what we need stands in opposition to what we think we need. We've all dealt with that when we go up the ladder of abstraction for sure. I think of like a young adult who says, man, what I really need is a man. I really need a woman. That'll make me feel whole. That'll make me feel good. That'll make me feel happy. Uh, and I'm even willing to compromise my values along the way to get this person because I don't think this person will want me unless I compromise my values. And so I'm willing to do that. Or maybe it's the other way around. It's a, I, I need freedom. If I just had my freedom, if I was just out of the house doing my own thing, then I would feel whole. I'd feel like, and maybe I make some mistakes along the way, but at least I'm in charge. And only later to find out what I really needed was to prioritize God in my life and to trust him. Because the heartache I felt when that person who I was relying in and trusting in and, and compromising my values for, I realized that the, what I was looking for in them only God can provide, and that person just walked away. Or the freedoms or the things I did where I was free and I was in charge, I now regret and lament. But it's not only young adults. 
us in our middle age, we think we know what we need when God knows what we need. We fall into the pit of materialism. Need that next gizmo, that latest Tesla, the newest cruise ship vacation. It has to be like the one that was built in 2022 so we can get a new ship. Uh, we need the addition on the house because, you know, 2,800 square feet isn't big enough. You know, first world problems, right? That's what will bring me ultimate happiness. I know what I need. And sometimes God stands in direct opposition to what I think I need. God is sitting on the sidelines saying, if you indebt yourself into poverty, you'll never have the opportunity to learn the joys of generosity. You won't even have the opportunity because you're indebted to poverty. Last one and probably the one that stings me the most. Societal expectation. Everybody does with this. Did you know that you don't have any value unless you look a certain way? Your external appearance, your desirability, you don't have any value unless you can provide some desirability, your external appearance. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to, to be healthy. I'm trying to be healthy. I've, I've been working on that my whole life. But it's not because of what I'm gonna see in the mirror. I can look and say, oh man, now all of a sudden I'm desirable. Like I, no, I just wanna be faithful to the Lord and his call. I wanna be able to do that as long as I can. Your value comes based on the fact that you're created in the image of God. Your value comes based on the fact that Christ died for you. That's the Christian worldview. And yet we buy into these external things that say, no, we need these external validators. We're willing to spend all kinds of money to get that external whatever to make us look a certain way. It's because we think we know what we need. God says, I know what you need. And sometimes that stands in a direct opposition to what we need. But to take a direct application from our passage, he said, take the gifts that produce this thing and raise them up high and place yourself underneath them. And so I could just make that analogy to you. How often do you take this thing, read it, saturate yourself in it, place it up high and place yourself underneath it? So, so that even when it says something, I'm, man, I'm just not sure. It's so counterintuitive, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put it up high. I'm going to place myself underneath it. It's one of our core values that we're unapologetic about biblical truth. I could tell you there's a lot of churches that will skip 1 Corinthians because they don't want to deal with chapter 12 and 14. And Hurtado goes, let's go for it. Well, you know you're going to make people mad on both sides. Well, then let's make people mad on both sides. Let's go for what the Word of God says. Take this thing, put it up high, place myself underneath it. Maybe the take home for you is to get here more often on Sundays so that you can take yourself and place yourself under it more. Because you've missed the last four messages in Corinthians and you don't even know the context of what we're saying. Or maybe it's, you know what, I couldn't make it this week because of whatever's going on at work or I understand ball leagues going up, but I'm going to make sure on Wednesday night I have a time with my wife and I'm going to watch it together. We're going to place ourselves underneath this thing, make sure that we saturate ourselves in it and let God change our life because of it. I don't know what it is for you, 
but I know something applies. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here and you're new to us and you're like, well, what's my first step, Pastor? I'll tell you your first step. Your first step in this thing is to receive the gift of God in Christ Jesus. To, to place your faith into him. That he was God, very God, and yet man, very man, lived a life that we were never able to live on our own, but will be held accountable before a perfect, perfect God. And he says, if you believe in my son, I'll, I'll see you as perfect, even though I know your past, your present, your future. I know what you've done, what you're doing, and what you will do. I can forgive it all so that when you stand before me, you have perfection, the perfection of my son through the blood of Christ. You gotta place your faith in that. You gotta recognize that you can't make it on your own, that you're not worthy of God, and that the only way for you to get to heaven is to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You could do that today. Place your faith in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and you could start your journey with God, and that begins you taking yourself, placing yourself underneath the word of God. Why don't you do it today? Father, we love you. We want to prioritize the things that are your priorities, we want to prioritize the things that you would have us prioritize. We, we don't want to be so far into our own mindset and our own feelings and our own desires that we forget you and what you want for us and what you have for us because what your, your ways are always higher than ours. We know that. But inside we wrestle, whether it's materialism or control or, or, or the values of this world, help us value your word. Help us value your word. Help us value your word in our lives, as we lead our families, as we navigate this thing called life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Pastor David. Thank you. Uh, in Pastor David's prayer just now, he mentioned putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've done that today for the first time, what that really looks like is you're kind of acknowledging that I'm a sinner. I have sin in my life, and my sin keeps me separated from God. It's a big deal to him but I'm gonna put my trust in Jesus Christ. God's offering to forgive you, to pay for your sins on the cross through Jesus' sacrifice. And when you become a Christian, you're saying, I believe that Jesus' death on the cross was sufficient to pay for my sin. I'm gonna receive his offer of forgiveness and I'm gonna turn away from that sin and begin following him. I think true repentance is not just saying, yeah, Lord, forgive me, but yeah, I need to turn away and start placing myself under like Pastor David talked about, where I'm putting Christ as Lord in my life, not me, Lord of my life. Um, and if that's what God's doing in your life today, maybe for the very first time, would you let us know? We really, really want to be able to pray for you. We want to help you in your journey. If you don't have a Bible, we want to give you a Bible. Um, so if you're here in person, uh, you can go to the lobby and the counter on your way out. And if you're watching online, uh, you can go to campcc.net and click on next steps at the top of the page and fill out a little form there and one of our pastors will get back to you so that we can uh, walk this journey with you. All right, we're going to continue worshiping God through giving. There's three ways to participate in that. We're saying, God, you're first in our lives. You're first in all things. We're going to be faithful to what your scriptures ask us to do by, by giving. Um, and Lord, would you please bless and utilize the gifts given. Um, we're going to do something else today we don't normally do. We do this about once a year. We vote. And there's only a few things we vote on in this church. One's the annual budget, and the other is the election of elders. Um, you should have received the information by now. If not, there's some packets in the lobby. And you, um, I tried to send an email at 2 a.m. this morning to everyone here. Um, if, I do, if I have your email, you should have got one. And there's a link in that email where you can go to to vote. 
And if I don't have your email or for some reason you didn't get it, you can go to our website and on the homepage there's a link for voting. And if all those things seem baffling to you, I have some paper ballots on the, at the counter on the lobby and you can uh, vote that way as well. This is important because um, the way our church is governed is we have an elect, elected representative uh, government. So we elect our elders um, and they make a lot of decisions. We believe that it's a biblical role and that God moves and his will is made known through our elder board. So we try to elect godly men for that role. So make sure that you uh, take this seriously. And I would love to see you vote for us. All right, we're gonna um, show a video now of what's coming up next. Cam CC, I'm Meredith Hurtado and besides being Pastor Dave's better half, I am the new food pantry manager and want to thank you for all your support with February's initiative. Every week, we're serving at least 120 families. So thank you, thank you. If you are a first, second, or third time guest, we have some gifts for you. We want to put a face to the name, so please go to the welcome counter in the lobby with your connection card, or if you're watching online, go to camcc.net forward slash next steps. Check out what's coming up next. April 3rd, Spring Growth Groups launch. Check out the growth group table on the patio or go to camcc.net slash groups. Signups begin March 20th. If you're looking for a way to connect with people in our church, this is a great way and just an eight week commitment. Get to know a couple of families and build friendships that will extend way past the eight weeks. I would highly recommend you join one. I love my group. Try it out this go around, cause what do you have to lose? They've truly become like family. Childcare is available. For more info, email jimmoyer at camcc.net. April 7th, Travis Green and Israel Houghton. One night only. There's still some tickets left. Help spread the word. Who are you gonna invite? Enjoy two of the top gospel artists of all time. You grab your tickets in the lobby. Important dates coming up, so make sure and save the date and check out upcoming events at camcc.net. Family Camp, Stay Chills in Santa Barbara, May 27th to the 30th. High School Friathon Camp, June 19th to the 24th. Middle School Catalina Trip, August 5th to the 8th. To stay in the loop of what is going on at CamCC, Follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. For more information on any of these events, go to camcc.net. Please stand for the send-off. Something that I got out of the message today is that all we need is God. There are times that we try to fill that with something else, but really our value comes from God's image. Remember, if it's your first, second, or third time here, please go to the Welcome Center to get your gift. If you are watching online, go to camcc.net slash next steps. And please don't forget to grab your tickets for Travis and Israel. It's going to be a great concert, and we would love to see you there. Have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday. God bless you.